Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is the Ringer's NBA writer and draft guru, Kevin O'Connor. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Chad, it's so good to join you today. How are you doing over in Hawaii? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing really good and really excited to get you on the show. We've known each other for a long time, had a lot of great conversations at the NBA Draft Combine over the years. I've been following your career at the Ringer, your draft guide. And, you know, for the two year hiatus where I wasn't really doing anything from the draft, you were my go to guy. Thanks for coming on the show and, and helping us get started on the 2020 draft. I know I'm a little late to the game, but given that we don't even know when the 2020 draft is actually going to be, I, I think we have some time to figure it out. We got a lot more time, I think, than we expected. I heard your pod earlier in the week with Mark Stein about when the draft will be. And I mean, it still could be June if there's no games, but uh, who know, who really knows? Uh, and thank you for having me on, too. Yeah, lo- uh, love what you're doing. Love the draft guide for my listeners who haven't checked out Kevin and, and his draft guide. It's, it's amazing. I, I want to start with, there's an irony. It's, I, I'm two years off. Last year was the Zion Williamson, John Morant draft, and it was an awesome draft. Some really great prospects at the top. This year looks kind of shaky. Talking to NBA teams and, and scouts over the last few weeks as I've been trying to build a big board based off of an NBA consensus, there doesn't seem to be a lot of consensus. And, and that's usually a sign that there's concerns for every player that there might not be the, your traditional franchise-changing superstar at the top of this draft. You know, there's a lot of that talk about how the draft is weak. And it's certainly weak in terms of clear superstar talents and i'm talking about last year you're you're thinking about zion you're thinking about luca the year before granted he didn't go number one that's a different conversation but these are these top tier prospects that you can feel confident have a clear path to stardom there's not that guy this year and a lot of the people that are talked about among scouts and executives who are the top prospects anthony edwards or james wiseman lamello ball all of them are talented but they have significant flaws too and that's true through you know the the five to ten range in the draft too but with that said though i think it is a draft that's going to have a lot of good role players so in that sense it's not weak it's just weak with top tier talent and it it seems to be one of these drafts and uh john hollinger and i just we've been doing some redrafts and we just recorded 2013 draft which obviously had an MVP in the draft Oof. he just went 15 <laughs> and another all-star Rudy who went 27 but the guy at the top of the draft was a was a complete bust this draft seems like that there's going to be some of that right all of the the top players there's some pretty high ceilings with some of these players But there's also a lot of bust potential with a lot of these players because many of them have serious Achilles heels that if they don't get fixed or if they don't work out, they could struggle and and less of the surefire players than there might be in other drafts. I mean, to me, with like everything you said, I agree with. And that kind of brings to mind. So what are you going to do if you get a top pick? Are you going to stay with that if there's a guy you're confident with? Or maybe the logical thing to do might be a trade down or even a trade out if there's a team that's willing to overpay, which there undoubtedly could be. Teams always fall in love with, with prospects every year. It happens. Uh, if a team does get number one or number two or three pick, maybe it logically makes some sense to trade down into the quote-unquote safer range where you're spending less on the rookie skill contract to get a a 
a player you feel more confident that has a higher floor as a really good role player who can help you right away rather than some of these sort of quote-unquote boomer bust prospects up top like we talked about Wiseman Ball Hayes uh, Wiseman Ball Edwards you know it's really interesting uh as I was looking back at 2013 and and what went wrong with the Cavs and Anthony Bennett they brought in about six six players that I think they seriously considered with the number one pick. It was one of those years that there wasn't a lot of consensus. And some of those players were players like Otto Porter or Victor Oladipo, who you could really project as having really solid NBA careers, but you you knew they weren't going to be franchise-changing types of players. And then there was guys like Anthony Bennett, who were massive boom-or-bust-type prospects. Maybe if Anthony Bennett hits his peak, He's a star, but there was also tons of red flags uh, about him. Nerland's Noel, medical red flags and other red flags about them as well. And it seems like ultimately the Cavs decided we need a number one pick who could potentially be a franchise changer. And so we're going to take the risk. The risk obviously blew up in their face. The guy that went number two, Victor Oladipo, who didn't maybe have the, the ceiling certainly turned into a a really, really terrific player. And, you know, that risk and reward is going to be very interesting because there's a lot of pressure on teams when you have the number one pick in the draft to deliver a franchise type of player, which means that there might be safer players on this board, players that can help you right away, players that you're pretty confident uh, have have a pretty high floor. But if they're not going to turn around your franchise, will you have the guts with the number one pick in the draft to take them. As you look at the teams that potentially could have the number one pick and you look at their front offices and you look how stable people's jobs are, the pressures that different front offices feel, it's going to be, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, it's going to be wildly different, I think, depending on which team gets the number one pick. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's the type of thing where James Wiseman is a different prospect center from, from Memphis than Anthony Bennett was in that 2013 draft. But considering how raw he is as a player when you could compare it to his potential upside you know you know seven foot could run the floor he has flashes ad like flashes but he's not that player uh that is the player fans are likely going to become obsessed with that fans are going to want that's the player the owners are probably going to be like we need that guy he's the highest upside player but you're going to have your front offices that are like eh wait a minute here there's a lot of risk for me and my job and my future when there's safer bets so you're going to see all these philosophical arguments within front offices never mind between different different teams with the way to go in this year's draft and to me even though there's not that zion there's not that luca i like that because that makes it fun for us as well when it comes to debating and talking about who are the guys that should go not just one but who are the guys that should go five or top ten for that matter Okay, so I'm gonna, we're, we're just going to talk about prospects that could be potential number one picks in the draft today. We'll come back in another pod and, and get to some of the other lottery-type prospects. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Kevin. All the games have been played. There's not going to be a combine. <laughs> I'm not sure there's going to be really much in the way of workouts. So in, in many ways, the scouting part of this is done. Obviously, there's some medical issues, and teams, I'm sure, will continue to gather intel and do uh, you know player interviews and things like that. But from from a scouting standpoint, I, I think we're unusually sort of done, uh, right? For this for this year's draft, so I think it's time to debut the number one pick on your big board, Kevin. We are going to do it right after the break. 
You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board Podcast on the Locked On Network. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and and pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let it get you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, Slots, War, and more. It doesn't matter whether you are out on the front lines or quarantined at home, the fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. Video poker not your thing but still need a fix? They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right, they have professional dealers at their tables live, on-site, 24-7. Your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic? Don't even sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action, straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again, by taking advantage of shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. We are back, and I'm talking with the ringers Kevin O'Connor about potential number one prospects in the 2020 NBA draft. Who's your number one guy on your board right now, regardless of teams and who's taking the number one pick? Who's the number one guy on your big board? Right now I have Killian Hayes, number one, uh, 18-year-old guard who played overseas in Germany this year. Look, this year it's still fluid. Even though the scouting process is over, there's still so much more to do with gathering intel and figuring out who these guys are as people and how they will continue to mature over time. And personality is so integral to success for players. But with that said, with that process still you know, ongoing, Hayes, to me, the progress he made this season from last year is massive. There are shades of James Harden with him in terms of that he has integrated double step backs, side dribble threes, quick pull-ups. And I'm not saying that he's Harden. Of course, Harden is one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. All I'm really saying is that in one year, he went from not using these moves to utilizing them quite effectively in a pro league. We've seen his handle improve. And over time, I would bet on that continuing to improve, which was only going to activate his shot-making ability. And in today's league... Those are the most valuable players, guys who can create and generate shots for you. And Hayes has shown the ability to create for himself as well as some really nice playmaking vision for an 18-year-old guard to develop into a guy that can be one or two of your lead ball handlers on a really good team. I I think that your choice is going to surprise a lot of people, both outside the NBA and inside the NBA. Uh, in, In just my cursory talks with NBA teams, I'm not sure that I've had a team mention him as the number one prospect, but there are a lot of really intriguing things about Hayes, and and you mentioned you mentioned all of them, and especially the progress that he's made this year. But 
there are obviously with him, and this is partly, again, what we're talking about, no surefire picks in this draft. There's some things that, that Hayes doesn't do that could really hurt his his overall development, right? Like he's not the elite athlete that can blow by people based off of sheer athleticism. Turnovers seem pretty high. He's got that reputation as a shooter, but in league play, he, he shot 29% from three this year. And he seems to be a little bit left-hand dominant to me. Are, are you concerned at all about some of those things with Hayes and especially projecting him as the top prospect in this draft? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I, I have concerns about all these top guys. And I think with Hayes, look, I entered the season, the college season, with Anthony Edwards as my number one player. And right now he's my two. In reality, these guys are in the same group, the same tier, and things need to shake themselves out. Um, same with LaMelo Ball, for that matter, too. Right now, just to put it out there, I have Hayes one, Anthony Edwards two, LaMelo Ball three. Uh, those guys could be interchanged as Intel comes in on them. Um, but with Hayes, you mentioned it's 29% from three, and that is true. That is a concern. But I do look at the fact that he is an 86% free throw shooter on nearly 300 attempts the last three years, and that he has very, very good touch on floaters and pull-ups from mid-range and from the paint, as well as on some real crafty layups. And so if shooting is the most important skill in the NBA today for guards and wings and forwards. And with Hayes, I feel more confident with his shot moving forward than I do with Anthony Edwards, who doesn't have that same touch, who also shoots a low three-point percentage but is a worse free-throw shooter. I feel more confident with Hayes than I do with LaMelo Ball, though with LaMelo, I also have some confidence for the same reason that I do with Hayes. He has very good touch from mid-range on his floaters. He is a very, much better free-throw shooter. And he also is somebody that it's more mechanical with his form and, and his consistency with his footwork that needs to change as a shooter. So with LaMelo, there's hesitations, but I feel some confidence. With Anthony Edwards, the shot I'm a little bit more concerned about. And with Hayes, to draw, get, bring it back to him, I think I just look at the fact that he has so such good touch and that free throw percentage is historically a better predictor of future success than actual three-point percentage. I feel some level of confidence with him that I may not with other prospects in this draft. And he's done... S- and he's done so much off the dribble too. I mean, like it's not like he's just catch and shoot, you know, twenty nine percent. A lot of lot. One big reason for the lower numbers is shooting off the dribble, which has been part of his role and responsibility too. Okay, here's my number one guy, and and even this morning I was bouncing back and forth between between two guys, Lamelo Ball or or James Wiseman, and and I'm gonna go with Ball, but let me just say a word about Wiseman and why I'm still considering him as a potential number one prospect. Sometimes I think we can overthink these things. And you look at the production that that he had in high school, he didn't get to really have a college career. And I think that's very, very frustrating for for a lot of teams because you're not able to scout him. And, and sometimes that can go either way, right? If you don't have a lot of tape to watch a player on, you can either project all of the positives onto a player and romanticize about what they can be. I call it Nicola Skidavili syndrome, the one that I fell for, uh, falling in love with a player in an empty gym. It doesn't really work out in five on five. But I also think that you can obsess over weaknesses of a player and not allow for maturity 
or growth because you're not getting to see that growth happen on the court. In Wiseman's case, being ruled ineligible by the NCAA was a big part of that. And and I wonder when you look at all the tools, whether he can continue to develop and grow. And there are so many tools there that scream NBA player that I think you'd be a really defensible number one pick in the draft. But But I'm going with Ball because... I love super high basketball IQ, great feel for the game, players that can play multiple positions, and just watching ball in Australia this year, and I know he has warts, and probably his biggest wart is that he carries the ball baggage with him. Talking to the NBA GMs especially who are sick, everything associated with the name, (laughs) it actually is hurting him. Right, They don't want to deal with his father. They don't want to deal with the hype. They saw all the things that sort of happened with the Lakers. And LaMelo seems to have a maturity about him that he's putting a lot of that aside, that he's stepping away from a lot of that. I'm not sure it's necessarily fair to project on him what happened with his brother, what's going on with his dad, uh, especially given some of the maturity I think that we saw in in, in Australia this year. If one of your beliefs, and, and one of mine is, that if you really, really know how to play the game, you're going to figure things out in the NBA unless you have just some massive, massive disabilities as, as far as a basketball player go. I think Ball's going to figure it out. I, I don't want to compare him to Luka Doncic, but there was a reason that Doncic fell a little bit in the draft when people, that Doncic was a basketball genius, athletic enough or explosive enough. And there was little things here or there that overshadowed the fact that, that Doncic was a basketball genius. I want to bet on ball. I realize that there are reasons to be concerned that shooting form, when you sort of look at maybe some of the things that didn't translate with his brother coming from UCLA to to the NBA, I think he's going to be better. For most of the teams that could be drafting number one, I think he's he's my guy. You know, it's natural to compare LaMelo Ball to Lonzo Ball. They're brothers after all, and there are similarities. Um, but the one big difference between those two is that LaMelo is a much better ball handler. He has much better burst and shiftiness off the dribble. And to me, that gives him an edge as a prospect if you're comparing just those two. And LaMelo, I mean, how lucky are we? Luca, Trey, Ja, just the past two years, these dynamic ball handlers with excellent vision as, a, as teenagers and now LaMelo ball coming in with his ability to just pass in every direction on the court with per, with great vision and great accuracy off either hand with either hand as a passer. I mean, he's, he's magnificent. He still needs to improve his decision-making, but that's that he already has improved and can projecting forward. That'll continue to get better for him. Um, you mentioned some of the concerns with him. That really does come down to, like it does for many players, though, it's his jump shot, right? I mean, you mentioned how Hayes shot only 29% from three. Uh, LaMelo shot only 28% from three, He all and he was only 70% from the line, too. So with LaMelo, that is also a concern because without the jumper, you're going to have defenders going under screens rather than fighting over picks, which is going to limit it limit his playmaking upside in the half court so that's the area where if you take him number one or you take him two or three for that matter you're betting big that that shot gets better like it has for his brother and as i said earlier i think that's a fair bet he's a solid free throw shooter he has good touch on layups and floaters he has some craft to him around the rim i think it's projectable 
that that shot improves. Um, do you do you feel confidence in it as well, Chad? I don't know. One of the other things that he has over his brother is he's bigger. And I don't want to make yes. this comparison because it's it's not an apples to apples c- comparison. But you know, Ben Simmons can't shoot to save his life. I still really think he was still the best player in that draft. If uh, Ben Simmons could shoot the basketball, he's an MVP candidate, given how great a defensive player he is and, and how great he is in initiating an offense and what have you. But even if that doesn't develop, I think Ball has that potential because everything else really speaks to being a really good player, even an all-star in the league, even if he is just a 30% three-point shooter in the NBA. I, I of course, hope that he, it's much better than that. But even at 31, 32% three-point shooter in the NBA, that really is much better than Ben Simmons. Now, of course, Ben Simmons is an elite athlete. And one thing we could probably pick at on ball is that as far as defensively goes, he's a massive work in progress. Big time, big time. And, you know, that with LaMelo, it's more than just the shooting. Offensively, it's also the fact that he's pretty adverse to contact around the rim, too. Uh, he does have touch on those floaters and crafty layoffs, but he doesn't really initiate contact or handle contact well around the rim either. And that's what off, what often separates good and great scorers is the ability to draw and get to the contact and get to the line and finish through contact. So never mind, you know, the defensive weaknesses with fundamentals, discipline, focus. I mean, up and down the board, there's concerns there. There's potential. I mean, he's he's agile, you know, theoretically with his length and his size, he could comfortably defend, you know, guards and wings too. Um, he's, he shows that he's an active rebounder as well. But there's definitely concerns beyond that, you know, and I guess you mentioned Wiseman was the other guy that you thought about. Like, what is it that gives Ball the edge? Is it really just the playmaking ability, the fact he can carry a team over Wiseman, who's just more of a guy who's going to play off of others? You know, with Wiseman, I want to see again, and we just didn't get a see this year. You know, he can fall in love with his jump shot, and I'm not sure that his jump shot is anything that you should fall in love with, let alone that he should fall in love with it, given his talent. He's, he's going to be a terrific rim runner. <laughs> I think we know that. You know, seeing him on, on, on a Golden State team, for example, where he could be really special uh, down the road, uh, he's undisciplined. And, you know, we didn't see things like, in you know, his inconsistent motor that we saw throughout high school. We didn't really get to see enough at, at Memphis to see, you know, was that just being disinterested because he's playing against you know, guys that he's clearly better than? Was he going to step that up when he got to college? I mean, there were so many questions that we didn't quite get answered with him. You get back to IQ and basketball IQ and feel for the game. And if I'm going to bet between two players, uh, I'm going to bet on that. That's just that's just me. I'm, I'm with you. And I mean, ultimately, we have different guys up top, you know, but I think we're sort of thinking along the same lines in that I have Hayes Edwards ball three larger ball handlers who can potentially help carry your offense. Uh, I'd prefer, you know, ball handlers with size in today's NBA, which is it's positionless and and it's the small guards that tend to get picked on on the defensive end of the floor, or it's the big guys who can't shoot that are liabilities to your offense or that big men who can't defend the perimeter that are liabilities to your defense. And so I think those bigger guards or bigger wings that can handle the ball, that that's what I'd be seeking out at the top of this year's draft class. And whether it's ball or Hayes or, or Anthony Edwards, who we didn't get into that much, any of those three guys to me have some appeal as the top pick. Let's take a break and we'll get back to Anthony Edwards 
Uh, We'll be back looking at other potential number one candidates on the next segment with Kevin O'Connor. You're listening to Chad Ford's Big Board. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you, who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books, Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. And we're back, and I'm talking with the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor about the potential number one prospects in the 2020 NBA draft. We talked about LaMelo Ball. We talked about Kevin's surprise number one pick, Killian Hayes. And we've talked a bit about James Wiseman, who kind of came into the season, many people sort of projecting as the top prospect in this draft. Now we're going to talk about some other players, teams, and Kevin and I project as potential number one picks. They're not number one on our board, but they could end up having their name called first on draft night. And let's start with Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. He's number two on your board. He's a little bit lower uh, on my board. Why is he the number two prospect on your board, Kevin? Well, I had Edwards ranked first before the year, and he very well might may end up back first. He, I have him second. He's a bruising scorer. He reminds me a bit of a Victor Oladipo or Eric Gordon in the way that he uses his size to create space off the dribble. And I don't have him one at the moment, though. I'm big on decision-making. You, you mentioned the athleticism aspect uh, with, with him. It's it's really impressive, but the decision making is not. And for me, that that's the area that we I want to see moving forward in the NBA. The most strides that he makes, he shows flashes as a passer, especially when on the open floor and in trans, transition. But some of the decision making as a shooter is worrisome. I, I I would love to see him attack more. I mean, he is so big, he can overpower anybody, especially in the college level. But oftentimes. He fell in love with his jumper a bit too much, and he's a 
he's an average shooter. Maybe he can become a good shooter, but I, I don't see him becoming a, a great shooter, and he doesn't have to be to be a really good player. Um, but his decision-making is just an area that I, I, I want to see him improve at quite a bit. This kid is special. He's built like a tank. He is a bruiser. He's an amazing athlete. You know, all the physical tools are there. It's the basketball IQ thing and, you know, watching him play at Georgia, watching the inconsistency and just trying to get my arms around his feel, right, for the game and what's happening on the floor. And and I think you and I both know that whatever is happening on the floor at Georgia, it's going to get extremely more complicated when it gets to the NBA and what he's going to have to, to read and how he's going to have to read defenses and what he's going to have to do at the NBA level it's going to get harder. I'm not saying that he can't develop because obviously he can. And we've seen a number of prospects that, that didn't look like they had great basketball IQ and as, as a freshman in college and have turned out to be really terrific players, but, but I'm worried. And, and a number of NBA teams that I've been talking to over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's a pretty big red flag for them. The physical part, a hundred percent they're, they're in, uh, and what he can do on the basketball court. Ultimately, how is he going to feel the game? I think that that is a question mark. And, and as you said, the other thing about his shooting, I agree with you. He doesn't have to be a great shooter in the NBA to be successful in the NBA, but he has to know that he's not a great shooter and not <laughs> fall in love with his jump shot and that become the primary weapon uh, in, in his offense uh, if he's not going to develop as a, as a shooter. I feel like with Edwards, I mean, look at him. Six foot five with a six nine, six ten wingspan. He's built like a tank, like you said, and he's his body's probably only gonna improve with NBA strength and conditioning programs. Like he check, 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 check with the athleticism aspect with his game. And you think about somebody like that, you're like, ooh, could be a really, really versatile defender with it quickness against guards and size to defend bigger players and yet the effort is not always there there's times where he's sitting in his stance locking down crashing the boards but then there's times where he just sort of checks out and and it it really is frustrating with guys like that you know we see this every year with a certain prospects who are hot and cold and edwards fits into that as well because he doesn't focus off ball as a defender when you think about how much he could wreak havoc um, in the in the passing lanes as a help defender around the rim you think about his fundamentals on the ball if he's able to really just stay in his stance and be focused he could be a great on ball defender and maybe he will be someday but the effort and the consistency with his focus has not always been there on defense just as on offense there's those same questions with reading the floor and you know, I have him second and I I feel pretty good with him there uh, if you're betting on a prospect this high in the draft but there is certainly some downside with those type of fundamental you know, IQ, vision types of flaws with him. Um, sort of similar to what you said with James Wiseman, right? I mean, he's sort of the guard wing version in this draft mm-hmm. of, as Wiseman is as yeah. a big when you're talking about feel. Yeah, and, and sexy physicality. I mean, when you look yes. at all the physical tools, it's so sexy and, and it makes a lot of sense that when you look at – if you just look at that profile – they fit the profile of the number one uh, prospect because of their their size, athleticism, explosiveness, whatever. That does fit the profile of the number one prospect, and then it does the head. And unfortunately, in the NBA, you need both. If I had to err and, and only choose one or the other, 
average athleticism, high basketball IQ, elite athleticism, low basketball IQ. I think this is why LaMelo Ball is, is number one on my board. Interesting. I mean, and I think that's also why, you know, LaMelo gets it over Wiseman for you comparing against positions. Because yeah. uh, one thing that's on my mind this year is that rookie skill contract, that number one pick is going to get paid $48 million over four seasons, $12 million annually. And so the big question that I have on my mind this year in regards to these prospects that don't have feel at this time is, do I want to spend that type of money on a big like Wiseman who may not make a positive impact over the duration of the deal when we have in the league – proven bigs like Clint Capella who make $14 million, or you have bargains like Daniel Tice who make $5 million, or JaVale McGee who makes $4 million. I mean, when I think about Wiseman, I feel like that opportunity cost is pretty significant. And that that's why I would rather sort of bet on some of these guys that have feel who who have a higher basketball IQ. I mean, we didn't mention Onyeke Okungwu, the center from USC, but I prefer him over James Wiseman, I think he's ready to come in right away and play, and he still has high upside long term too. And I worry, I worry with Wiseman that of all the things you just mentioned, or you mentioned the fundamentals, you mentioned the ability to read the floor. I there's a lot of Andrew Wiggins in him as he's a big man, but in terms of intangible qualities, he has the athleticism. He can put up the numbers. But I worry if I am a team with that number one pick, is that the guy I want to invest $12 million annually in? Or would I rather go with a guy who I feel more confident in that can help me through the first four years of that contract and beyond and maybe invest in a cheaper center on the market who can probably perform at a higher level than Wiseman can early in their careers because of the his inability at, the t- at this time with fundamentals, with reading the floor, with discipline – that's sort of the way I'm thinking about my rankings too this year is sort of beyond just the player themselves, but how they fit into the whole sort of team building structure. Well, that's a really interesting point with Okongwu and what what you mentioned with him at USC and you have him ahead of Wiseman. If you look at ceiling, Wiseman surpasses him. But then if you look at floor, Wiseman's floor is lower. I mean, Wiseman Wiseman has a... <laughs> Wiseman has a basement. Okongwu doesn't. You know, uh, Okongwu right away is going to be able to be an impact player. How smart he is on the court, on both ends of the floor. He's already a good perimeter defender. He can switch. Wiseman's not there yet. You're right, though. I mean, Wiseman has a higher ceiling theoretically, uh, but theoretically, uh, <laughs> I, I worry about his probability of actually reaching it. And 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 this is again where things get difficult because we're basing almost all of this off a high school basketball career. Yeah. And again, he didn't play enough at Memphis and didn't play against the talent we needed to see him play against to really see whether he improved on some of those things, whether there's a maturity level there. And, you know, something else, is he the sort of player that is going to hit the gym and keep working on his game, keep keep refining his weaknesses in the NBA? And Okongwu, I, I agree with you. A lot of those things I like. But then again, you know, you're talking about a player that's not a stretch threat, uh, who's a bit undersized to really, he plays like a five, but he's kind of in the body of a four. Low assist rate, even though it looks like there's some some real basketball IQ there. Any chance he goes number one? 
probably not. <laughs> probably. I mean, I mean, I, I, he should be in the conversation in my opinion, if you're talking bigs, uh, I wouldn't take him number one, but I think he's, I think he's the top big in the draft. And I, I mean, look, Wiseman's upside is undeniable. Well, you know, when you talk about the fact that he, he has shown that he could maybe be a perimeter threat, that he can do a lot off the dribble as a big man, there's re- rare qualities there. Um, but with all the weaknesses, I just look back at Okongwu and I look at this guy and I'm like, yeah, maybe he doesn't have the ceiling, but already at the, at 18 years old, he is going to be a guy that I feel confident will be a great screener and a great finisher on the rim. He can be a lob threat or he can finish with touch using either hand. He can handle a little bit for you as well. I mean, he can put down the ball one or two times on a roll to the rim and he he needs to get better at passing, but he has shown vision of making some slick passes either as an outlet passer or sometimes on the short roll making some quick reads. I don't I don't think his vision is necessarily reflective of his negative assist turnover ratio. I I think watching the film with him it's a little bit misleading. And and on the offensive end, I look at a guy that can fit into a role and make a positive impact impact for you. Then when you look at the defense, he already has a good IQ, a good awareness of where to be in pick and roll defense. He can drop, he can hedge, he can switch. He is a good help defender. He can he can switch, as I said, onto quicker perimeter players and play with good fundamentals, sliding his feet laterally to keep in front. He is a smart player on both ends of the court. And I think about who does he remind me of? I look at someone like a Bam Adebayo, a guy who is a rising star, an all-star this year. He's not a traditional superstar necessarily, but he's a foundational piece on a team that will soon have championship aspirations if they're able to add one more star in the near future. And I, I don't know if Ocon- if if Wiseman is the road I want to go down. I mentioned the rookie scale contract is the number one pick, but also you know if he's that guy who – shows flashes he's gonna get paid 25 million dollars plus whenever that deal is up and i don't i in today's league i don't feel good about investing that amount of money in a center who isn't a joel Embiid, a nikola Jokic type of big man who can really be the face of my franchise i just i don't i just don't feel good about going down that path and i'd rather take the guy that I feel like can help me more now and still more easily fits into a role even in the, in his second contract and beyond. I, I, I don't know. Like maybe I'm leaning too much on the weaknesses with Wiseman, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to obsess over everything. I mean, you can't obsess over just the positives or obsess over just the negatives. That's when you get yourself into trouble big time. But the negatives are real, and they should be looked at under a microscope. And I just worry about what he's going to be when he maxes out, considering his fundamental IQ flaws when it comes to reading the floor and all that on both ends. I, I have real concerns there, which is why I have him fifth right now. And honestly, Chad, like – he might end up lower. He he might. I mean, there's there's a handful of guys that I feel like fit into that Okongru category that can fit in for you and still help retain some upside. They just have much higher floors than than Wiseman does. Great stuff, Kevin. We're gonna do a quick hit on two other names that I'm hearing. A few teams have have mentioned two other names. Uh, one that I think college basketball fans will be very familiar with, Obi Toppin, ah. is. Is this a case where 
he's penalized because he's a little bit older, because he plays at Dayton, and we're missing a guy uh, who could come in and make an impact right away in the NBA with athleticism, with a per- pretty polished offensive game. And yes, there's warts with Obi Toppin as well, but we might just be missing a little bit by, by trying again to project sexiness. And then Tyrese Halliburton, high basketball IQ, good shooter, size for position, awesome at the floater game, he actually carries many of the attributes that that we like a little bit in some of those other big guards, but you know, struggles to take his man off the dribble, not an elite, elite athlete, lacks, lacks strength, doesn't get to the line enough. Where are those guys at on your big board right now? With, with Obi Toppin, I mean, he's a clear top 10 guy. I'd put him in that same category that I just mentioned, someone who could end up fifth on my board. Um, I think I have him maybe seven or eight right now. Um, he's in that conversation with, with Obi. I mean, you did the Amare Stoudemire draft. How much does he remind you of Stoudemire? Granted, Amare was much younger when he came in, but in terms of player constructs on the offensive end, there's a lot of similarities in my opinion there. I, I see it as well, and it's one of those ones where I'm like, are we – are we maybe, you know, missing something that's right in front of our face here in the draft? And we, we saw that a little bit with the 2013 draft as well, because again, we're trying to project sexiness. And, and one of the things that's sexy is young and a little more unknown. Uh, yeah, I, I see him. I think he's in my top five already. Interesting. Halliburton, where do you got him? Uh, Halliburton, another top 10 guy. Same, same range as Toppin right now. I mean, how can you not like Halliburton? As a player, you mentioned all the good things about Lamelo Ball with his high, high, you know, passing ability. With Halliburton, all the same things can be said. I, I love him as a prospect. I, to me, him and Toppin are exactly the in Okongwu too are exactly the type of guys that I'm talking about. With this year, it's weak in terms of clear star talent, but it is quite good in my opinion when it comes to guys that can come in and make a positive impact for you in the right role. And Halliburton, with his IQ, always in control, with his ability to create with some real knack for, for creativity for his teammates and for himself, I mean, he can deliver any type of pass on the court for you. And then you factor in the fact he's improved a lot as a spot-up shooter. Um, and he looks a bit better off the dribble as well. The defense is concerning with him, which is why he's not a top guy, not not a top number one pick right now. But on the offensive end of the floor, he's going to help your team for sure. Kevin, thanks for coming on and talking about those top prospects in the draft. And really excited that you've got Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes is going to be trending on Twitter now uh, that you've got him number one on your big board. Really appreciate all your insight, all your work all your passion. We're going to have you back, if that's okay, uh, talking about the lottery teams and what they might do uh, with the number one pick in the draft. No, I, re- I really appreciate it, Chad. Um, means a lot for you to have me on once. I look forward to doing it again next week. Uh, so thank you. I'm looking forward to it. You have been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've been with Kevin O'Connor. Aloha. Aloha.